Hello, welcome to Combo Chain. It's a JRPG Games Club podcast. I'm Paul M. Davis, and today I'm joined by... Elisa James. Uh, hey, everyone. How's everyone doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Good. Yeah, so today we are going to be doing The World Ends With You which is a really interesting game and a unicorn. It's surprising. Nobody's ever, they've never done a sequel or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which hurts me because it's one of my favorite JRPGs and it's such a great underrated game, especially the, uh, the DS version. <laughs> yeah. When I brought it up with you, you said it was one of your favorite JRPGs. Was your your pass with it? I ended up playing it for the uh, Nintendo uh, DS back when it first released, fell absolutely in love with it. So I completely beat that. I beat the Another Day side story that comes out once you beat the main story. It's just such a phenomenal game. I played a little, I played a bit of the Switch version, which I liked, but I, I still prefer the DS version. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I <laughs> having played the Switch version primarily, and never having played the DS version, I can see how it would work a lot better on the DS. Yeah, yeah I, uh, <laughs> I, I I picked it up on the iPhone years ago and probably put a couple hours into it. And I'm not a big fan of mobile gaming. Yeah, I didn't really stick around, so I didn't really stick with it for very long. But uh, yeah, when it came back out on the Switch, I finally got a chance to give it a try. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad too because, yeah, the mobile version is easily the worst way to play that game. Just not good. Yeah, yeah, especially on a tiny, with the touchscreen. I guess the DS has a pretty tiny touchscreen too, but. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's at least a dual screen, so they're able to actually split up the action and menu interface and everything. And the Switch uh, screen is at least much larger, so they can fit everything on it. And then the mobile like version, it's just it lacks either one of those advantages. It's just oh not... yeah, yeah. The Switch the Switch screen is ginormous. It's great. As <laughs> as, though I did have to uh, bust out my uh, Super Mario Maker uh, stylus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, why don't we just get into the backstory on this game? It's got a very unique history too. So yeah, it was released by uh, Square Enix for the DS in Japan in 2007 and worldwide in 2008. It was specifically designed with the uh, DS touchscreen in mind. I think this was definitely back in the day when Nintendo was really encouraging uh, developers to make touchscreen-centric titles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The most notorious, I think, being, what was that game? Feel the Magic. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But yeah, I think, as you can see with this game and with games like Etrian Odyssey, like it wasn't only a like Nintendo directive. I think the developers got really excited about the potential of touchscreens. And almost 15 years later, we have touchscreens everywhere. So <laughs> we can see <laughs> that yeah, maybe they were onto something. 
Yeah, it was uh, released for uh, mobile devices in 2012 and for the Switch in 2018. And uh, this was actually surprising to me. I didn't realize this. It was developed by the same team that created the uh, Kingdom Hearts series. So that's uh, director uh, Tatsuya Kondo, uh, co-director uh, Tomohiro Hasegawa, uh, planning, director, ta- planning director Takeshi Arakawa, and uh, the infamous Tetsuya Nomura. <laughs> that was the biggest surprise to me because I really liked the visual style of this guy- game. And I am not the biggest fan of Nomura's designs. So I, I'm actually shocked you didn't know. Like, that game screamed Nomura. Like, everything because all his designs come from shibuya uh, street fashion like the whole zippers and belts and everything that's all super popular yeah, yeah. no i totally i, I get that <laughs> but i think it's different when it's in this kind of like very cell shaded like really stylized uh, yeah. approach versus these kind of like blonde pretty boys yeah like, yeah i i are supposed to look realistic I agree. Yeah. I think this is some of his best visual work. It's phenomenal. And I love this art style the best for him. Yeah, I think it's really great. And obviously, like, the guy's not Rob Liefeld. Like, he's a talented designer. But, yeah, um, yeah he, he has <laughs> his excesses. And in this game, they pay off. Um, yeah. Apparently, the intention was always to make a game that primarily used touchscreen controls. They experimented with a number of different mechanics, like uh, turn-based battles or even a like music influence mechanic. But I don't know if that would have been like a rhythm game type type situation. But they finally just settled on a like purely touchscreen, real-time battle system. And speaking of the visual design, the game's cel-shaded, really stylized visual approach arose from the belief that uh, typical 3D graphics were getting played out. And uh, there was also a fear that a more realistic portrayal of real-life locations would be boring for Japanese players, which is hilarious because (laughs) (laughs) every other JRPG takes its... (laughs) And like Shibuya now. <laughs> Shibuya now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and along those lines, even though it's Shibuya is uh, re- really well known today, and also the setting for countless JRPGs at the time, it was like pretty. It was considered a pretty risky choice. There's fears that the youth culture and the location wouldn't translate internationally, unlike a more traditional kind of like fancy JRPG setting. But I'd say that decision turned out to benefit almost every element of the game, from the stylized character art to the use of the then-cutting-edge hip technologies like cell phones, the pin-based battle system, which were in part inspired by graffiti, and, of course, the amazing hip-hop and electronica soundtrack by uh, Takaharu uh, Ishimoto. And I feel like this is almost, I guess Persona 3 and 4 were around the same time. I feel like this is almost one of the first games to like 
really blaze a trail for what JRPGs would be like in the 15 years since. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just in terms of not just a game just happening to be in a setting, but using like every aspect of that setting uh, and an environment to enrich the stories and visuals and characters and all sorts. And, and I think, like you said, this game really did that. Every part of this game screams Shibuya. Like, you're immersed in it. And it's such a really wonderful thing when you're playing. Like, you really... Even though it's such like a, a weird kind of almost fantasy sort of thing going on, you really mm. feel like you're in Shibuya experiencing what it's like with like teenagers dealing with this constant trendiness and like just all the other environmental cues from that area. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Every kind of like aspect of the game is inspired by that. And I think it really shows it does. It's really cool. And back then, like having a game like that was so unique. You were mentioning before, you just didn't have a JRPG with this kind of setting. And so I know when I played it, I was like blown away because, you know, I, I like the traditional fantasy settings or the kind of far future fantasy settings. But like having something so modern like that is it was just really cool. Like I've never I never played like a JRPG like that before. And it just it made me hungry for more. And I guess it made a lot of people hungry for more because, like you said, after that, you started having way more games like heavily influenced by this one. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I guess the only games I can think of that came prior that had this kind of like real life setting were the first two personas, but those weren't nearly as rooted in the real world youth culture at the time. Exactly. Yeah. So absolutely. With the game itself takes place, of course, in a fictional version of the Shibuya shopping district in Tokyo, Japan. So while everyday life goes on in the real ground, the chosen dead are brought to an alternate plane of existence called the underground. And there they compete in the Reapers game, a week-long battle where the prizes are to either be brought back to life or to transcend to a higher form of spiritual existence. And so the game itself is arranged into three chapters based on the three weeks that your main protagonist, Neku, is involved in the Reapers game. The player controls Neku and his partner as they explore Shibuya to complete each day's mission. Though Neku and his partner have a time limit, the time limit doesn't pass in real time for players. You have as much time as you want to really go around, explore the area, do all like the side quests, stuff like that. So Shibuya is divided into several districts, some of which may be inaccessible on certain days or blocked by a wall. Walls can be removed by satisfying the request of a nearby reaper, such as erasing noise symbols, putting on a certain brand of clothing, or bringing item. So basically, just to briefly say, a noise are the main enemies of the game. They're mm -hmm. kind of like monsters that manifest. So they start out as frogs, which are the least... <laughs> <laughs> the least threatening enemy you can have. But. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's some really cool designs once they actually emerge. Like, they have really interesting uh, designs. And the noise, as you look at, they're also very heavily based on graffiti and whatnot and stuff, too. So, they're pretty interesting. 
Neku can scan the thoughts of real-life NPCs, which adds flavor to the world and can sometimes be plot-relevant if you have to scan the thoughts of certain special NPCs to gather information and track down said items or noise, things like that. The scan also reveals random noise symbols that drift around the area or a specific character, and the player can start a battle by touching these noise symbols. Selecting one more than one noise symbol at a time results in a multi-round battle that increases in difficulty with each round, but also leads to greater rewards upon success. So it's like essentially a chain battle. So each district has fashion trends that affect gameplay by wearing pins or clothing from the more popular brands in that district, item effects will be improved. Wearing the least fashionable items will do the uh, opposite. So, however, the player can increase a brand's popularity in one district by repeatedly fighting battles in that district while wearing items of that brand. The player can enter shops to buy new pins, clothing, (coughs) and food items that are gradually consumed during battles to improve the character's basic attributes. So, combat itself takes place (coughs) across both screens on the DS, with Neku on the touchscreen and his partner on the top screen, representing the different zones of the same local area. And the two characters battle the same enemies that exist in both zones simultaneously. And as you've been hearing, we've been mentioning this thing called pins are basically what you equip to each character, and they have a lot of different skills, like ability to the passive attacks, more of the offensive ones like attacks, or more like passive abilities that strengthen stats or offer other special abilities. Mm-hmm. And there's like tons of different pins. And then you can evolve the pins as well. Funny enough, this is interesting. On the DS, you could evolve the pins, give them experience points by actually having the DS on sleep mode with the pins equipped. And then like oh, when man. you... Yeah, and then when you actually uh, opened it up again and you get back into the game, depending on how many days you had it on sleep mode, you get that much experience. And then what was interesting is that the longer, like the more days you had it, the less experience you had over time. So it's a way to promote you to like play the game more often. So if you really wanted to grind your pins, you would have it on sleep for a day or you could use the time skip feature. <laughs> you just mess around. Oh, you man. I love, that's so cool. I miss that kind of, those kind of features from the, the DS and 3DS where they would not, I'm thinking right now, street pass, but like other, there'd be other kind of features like that where it's tied to the internal clock and, you don't really see that on uh, on the Switch. You don't. And what's funny is that actually Street Pass was another way you could get experience for your pin. So it was actually a really cool thing. Like you brought your DS with you to like conventions, and everyone was playing The World Ends With You at this time. So right. like you would go to conventions, and you would just be like swimming in experience points for your pins. Because every time you Street Pass someone who had the game... Two, you get like bonus experience. So they actually did like a lot of that social kind of thing. It was a lot of fun. So pins, it was a very cool system that uh, that pins were. So Neku and his partner are synchronized during battle. They share the same health bar so that even if one character doesn't take any damage, the pair can fall in battle if the other takes too much. So a green light puck will pass between the characters during battle. And by alternating battle um, 
between the character who possesses the puck, damage is increased. The movement of the light puck is determined by the sync ratio between Neko and his partner, and the puck stays longer with the character with higher ratios. And just, just to let you know, too, this is actually the learning curve of this game, that you actually did have to watch both screens at the same time. Because while you controlled Neko with the touch screen, at the same time, you had to use the D-pad to control your partner. So you had to learn how to actually alternate viewing both screens because you're fighting two enemy sets on either screen. And as was stated, you're sharing HP. So you can't just be like, oh, I'll just focus on Neku because that's a great way to get knocked out if you're not Mm -hmm. having the other character fight or like vice versa. So it was a really interesting mechanic. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. And the Switch and mobile versions miss out on that, but... We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, so uh, the player controls uh, Neku by performing touchscreen actions, which are based on the currently equipped pins. So some of the actions include um, slashing across an en- enemy, um, tapping the screen rapidly to fire bullets, holding down on an enemy to inflict damage, or even uh, shouting into the microphone to cause a full screen attack. Then there was other pins, like uh, health restoratives, that you need to touch on to activate them. Most of the pins have a cooldown timer, during which time you can't use them, not unlike, say, like an MMO or whatnot. Other pins can only be used a fixed number of times. Neku's partner on the top screen can be controlled by the player using the face buttons, Although uh, players can also choose an option to have the computer assist them with the controls. And yeah, each of uh, Neku's partners also has a uh, card game based mechanic. For example, uh, Shiki's card uh, game requires a player to face, to match uh, face down Zaneer cards. And uh, the partner can make a basic attack after the player navigates through a pathway of arrows to select one of several shown cards using the directional pad or face buttons. By navigating to a card that fits with the card game rules, the player earns a star. Once enough stars are collected, the player can then launch a powerful fusion attack using both Neku and his partner through the harmonizer pin that appears on the upper right of the touchscreen. The player can also help the uh, partner character dodge attacks. So, in the uh, game's releases on single-screen systems like mobile and uh, Switch, the battle system's been modified somewhat radically. Basically, the way it works is the current partner instead acts as a separate pin among Neku's other pins. And so you have to press on that pin and you can call in the and you can call in the partner to uh, perform attacks and then you by using similar touchscreen actions like tapping on an enemy or slashing so adds a little bit of complexity to it the players got to balance the use of the partner pin with Neku's own attacks going to the partner repeatedly to build up towards fusion attack You've got to really like manage both Neku's pins and your partner's pins and 
I don't know. It gets a little hectic sometimes. <laughs> That's interesting. So it's like a different kind of hectic from the whole constantly watching two screens at once to balance out the the, the characters. That's that a really interesting uh, way to adjust the combat for the lack of second second screen. Yeah, yeah. It's a workaround. Not having played the DS version, it's what I'm used to, but from what I've read about the DS version, I think I would prefer the original. Yeah, um, yeah. I would definitely agree. I think you should definitely give it a try at least because it's a very unique experience. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to see if I can get it going on a uh, <laughs> <laughs> non-sanctioned uh, <laughs> playing playing device. But yeah, let's uh, get into the characters. First and most important is Neku, Saka- Neku Sakuraba, who I could not stand at first, which I <laughs> think is the point. But, yeah, no uh, one could. <laughs> He's, he's pretty much an asshole, 15-year-old boy. He doesn't care much for other people. But throughout the course of the story, he learns the importance of having people in his life. And he becomes very close to his partners, Beat, Joshua, Ryan, and Shiki. As well as uh, Sine, Hana, Sine Hanakoma. And to demonstrate this development of his character, basically his first entrance fee to the game was his memory because he begins the game not knowing like what who he is or what was going on his second was shiki and his third was basically all the other players basically showing how he progresses from liking no one to caring about everyone and the world <laughs> exactly next we have uh, shiki mizaki neku's partner for the first week who's uh, generally friendly, but does harbor a bit of jealousy for her best friend, Eri. She's very creative and makes her own clothes and toys, including her attire and Mr. Mew, her little cute plush toy she always has. Uh, But as she claims, it's only due to Eri's inspiration. Because of her jealousy, her entry fee for the Reapers game was her appearance, causing her to look like Eri. Shiki's true appearance is only ever seen properly at the end of the game, and her face is not shown. Shiki is one of Neku's best friends by the game's end, and also, honestly, like, the fan favorite. Out oh, of yeah. All of, out of all of Neku's partners, everyone loves Shiki. She's just an absolute doll and amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 If this game has a waifu, she's it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, then you have uh, Joshua. He's uh, Neku's partner for the second week. He's uh, sly and clever. He enjoys teasing others, and he harbors some pretty dark secrets. Neku believes that he's finally found someone who he understands in Joshua. But as he learns later on, Joshua is not the person he thought him to be. Turns out that uh, he's actually not dead, unlike everybody else, and not from the underground which makes him an illegal player and leads to him not having an entry fee. <laughs> and, and he's also like, he's also the least favorite out of, <laughs> out of all the fans. 
Like, which actually leads into the next character who people were relieved to get once uh, the second week was over with, which is Beat. <laughs> uh, Beat is Rhyme's older brother and her partner for the first week, as well as Neku's for the third week. He says that he dreams to be the best skater in the world and uses this as his battle style. While he acts so tough, cool. it is actually it's very cool. And while he acts tough in front of others, he is truly caring and open. His entry fee was Rhyme's memories and love for him, leading to a very traumatic experience for him. Yeah, then you have uh, Rhyme, who's uh, Beat's younger sister, as uh, well as his partner for the first week. On the fourth day of the first week, uh, Rhyme is Rhyme is erased by the Reapers. Mr. Hanakoma then binds Rhyme's soul to a pin. We should probably... Do you want to just give us a little uh, primer on who Mr. Hanakoma is? Yeah. Mr. Hanakoma is... He's like the... He owns like a, a shop in Shibuya. And he's basically your go-to guy. Neku's ally and like the ally of his partner as well. And just like always is there to help him out, give him advice. It's like the person who Neku starts getting close to with as well. And, and becomes like a mentor figure for Neku. So he's, he reminds me of anyone who's ever watched Bleach. He's like uh, Kisuke Yurahara. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's kind of, he's kind of like that character. So he's, I really like him a lot. He's a great character. He's the one that really helps to center Neku. As you could tell too, he's the one who actually helped out beat and saved Rhyme's soul by binding mm-hmm. it to a pin. Otherwise her soul would have been lost permanently. So, yeah, he's a great guy. Was there anything you wanted to add about him or? Oh, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. So, yeah, he binds Rhyme's soul to a pin. Beat forms a pack to turn the pin back into uh, Rhyme, the human, again. And then, but when the pin is acquired and used by uh, Neku, it summons Rhyme's noise form to attack the enemy. And uh, Rhyme's entry fee was her ambitions and her dreams. Oof, that's heavy. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> oh, man. It's funny, this game starts out like seeming pretty light and gets real dark. Yeah, very quickly. <laughs> so, um, the antagonist, a.k.a. the Reapers. So we have uh, Uzuki Yashiro, a.k.a. Pinky. The Harrier Reaper and partner of Koki Ka- Kadia. Koki Kadia, aka Lollipop, is another Harry Reaper and, of course, Uzuki's partner. They're essentially the Team Rocket of the <laughs> <laughs> They're just constantly getting. And actually, they actually have a similar dynamic, too, now that I think about each other. So, and they. <laughs> that's, that's a really good com- comparison. <laughs> yes, yeah, so constantly getting in your way constantly getting beaten it's just but then you end up like over the course of the game you end up actually liking them like in a weird way so yeah yeah <laughs> they're a lot of fun <laughs> you have uh next character you have yodai higa shizawa the main game master for the first week then you have Sho Minamimoto. A.K. Pie Face, the game master for the second week, and of course he's the originator of the meme "So Zeta Slow." <laughs> 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 that comes from his uh, boss battle where he repeats that line 
constantly. And I was <laughs> <laughs> and what makes it worse is at the time I didn't realize it was an unbeatable battle. So I actually sat there for like a half hour and I beat him and I had to hear that line. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So it was just like, oh uh. and then I found out later that I just I didn't even have to beat him. But I did get the rare pin from him, so it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> next we have uh, uh mitsuki konishi aka iron maiden the game master for the third week and then uh last but not least is uh megumi uh, kitanji aka shades the conductor of the game yeah so let's uh move on to the story so yeah as we uh, mentioned before the game story uh, follows Neku over the course of the three weeks that he plays the game, uh, paired with his partners Shiki, Joshua, and B for each week, respectively. Neku is confused at first. He doesn't know who he is, wh- what he's doing. He doesn't even really realize at first that he's dead, or how he arrived at the, at the UG. Though, as he develops friendships with his partners, he starts to understand the rules of the game. After the first week, only Shiki is allowed to return to the living, and uh, she promises to meet Neku at the statue of Hachiko. He also recovers his entry fee, which was his memories, except for the events leading up to his death, notably. Yeah. However, Shiki has become what Neku values most, and she is used as his new entry fee for the second week. In addition, Beat defects to the Reapers, holding, hoping to find a way to revive Rhyme after she sacrifices herself to save him. So during the second week, Neku recalls small details of his death. Eventually, he recognizes that he was shot at by Sho Minamimoto, one of the Reapers he faced during the game. At the end of the second week, Joshua seemingly sacrifices himself to save Neku from an explosion created by Minamimoto. Yeah, so because Joshua was never actually dead, the game's nullified, and Neku is forced to play a game, play the game a third time. This time, his entry fee is all of the other players, meaning that uh, he can't form any packs, and uh, theoretically stands no chance against the noise. Fortunately, Beat immediately defects from the Reapers and uh, rejoins Neku. Neku and Beat find out that the Reapers and the entire population of, Shibu- of Shibuya are wearing special red pins that brainwash them into thinking the same harmonious thoughts. So, without any missions to complete, the two venture to the fabled Shibuya River, which Joshua was looking for during the second week. At the river, they, meet, they find uh, Megumi Kitanji, the game's conductor, Kitanji explains that he created the red pins in an attempt to remake Shibuya, which the composer challenged him to do. If he fails, both he, as his price for losing the game, and Shibuya will be erased. At that moment, Joshua reappears and reveals himself to be the composer. Joshua returns the missing part of Neku's memory of death. Joshua himself shot uh, shot Neku, choosing him to be his proxy in his challenge with Kitaniji. So yeah, Minami Moto, who had been uh, trying to usurp the uh, position of composer, was trying to kill Joshua in his weakened state as a human. 
After Kitanji fails to defeat Neku by using his friends against him, Joshua gives Neku one last challenge to fire upon Joshua to uh, determine the fate of Shibuya. Neku's too conflicted to make a choice, and uh, so he's shot down by Joshua. He finds himself once again at the Scramble Crossing in Shibuya, confused by the events that happened before, but uh, he's alive this time. <laughs> so the game's credits then show seven uh, days later in the RG as Neku walks from Uragawa to Hachiko to meet Beat, Rhyme, and Shiki. He discusses how the past three weeks have changed him for the better. In a statement directed at an absent Joshua, Neku says that although he will not forgive him for what he has done, he trusts him. Neku then asks if Joshua will be present at Hachiko as well. Then there's these secret reports that can be obtained by completing additional missions after beating the game. And some of them reveal that Joshua, after seeing the change in personality of Neku over the weeks of playing the game, decides to spare Shibuya, now believing the city to be ideal. Basically, the reasoning was Joshua said that if the worst person in Shibuya, Neku, was able to change, it gives them hope for the rest of the people of Shibuya to change. So the game ends with Neku abandoning his headphones before a title card appears entitled The World Begins With You. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on if you play the uh, DS version or the Switch version, there's actually two different side stories that unlock at the end. So for the DS version, it's called Another Day. It's an extra chapter of the game that becomes available after completing the main storyline. And it basically opens with the following disclaimer. The tale you're about to experience depicts a world entirely separate from that of the main story. Which, of course, is extremely misleading and, and done purposely. Because according to those secret reports, particularly numbers 20 to 22, make it clear that another story is actually connected to the main story in a fundamental way. So the composer basically had fled to a parallel world at the end of the second week, and this is the world he fled to. So it is actually, yeah, this is actually like it's another world entirely, but it does exist. And of course, the main difference is that immediately you'll notice that this Neku is literally like shonen protagonist, like burning spirit, literally he's going <laughs> to joining the the 10 pin slammer challenge which is like the 10 pin slam was like a side uh game that you could play in the main story and, and another day it is actually the main purpose of this you know of this game's this world right here so basically he decides he's going to enter this uh this tournament because he needs to chase away the emo urges he's having so he so it's separated into three different events in the first event to progress, you uh, go to Molko to sign up for the slam off. And after you win in the preliminary rounds, it turns out that the event was set up by Uzuki Yashiro, Koki uh, Kadia, and Ayodai Higa Shizawa to steal the comp competitor's pins, though uh, Neku uh, manages to retain his. Shooter then tells Neku to go to the secret hideout, which is Ramendon and uh, Dogenzaka. And it's hilarious because once again, like this is literally a team rocket plot, <laughs> like, <laughs> like wholesale. <laughs> um, 
So in the second event, after a prolonged discussion, the ideas proposed that Neku, Shiki, Beat, Joshua, and Shooter should go out and play Tin Pin to draw attention to themselves in order to flush out the Black Skullers. So, so, and then basically it also alternates like what areas you can enter in at different times. So on the third event, Rhyme is waiting at a, a Miyashita Park and will tag along after she's spoken to. Afterwards, Higashizawa is waiting in the adjacent underpass. And after the resulting bout of Tin Pin, it turns out that Rhyme was working for the Black Skullers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so good. I love this. The, the group decides to return to Ramendon, where another discussion ensues. The Skullers' hideout is Miyashiki Park. Sorry, Miyashita Park. And then you return there. You defeat each Skuller in turn and complete the side quest. So it's like this, like really fun, goofy, lighthearted thing. A nice break from how serious and heavy the main story could get. But I played this and I just had a blast. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, so which the Switch version, there's a different alternate quest called uh, A New Day. And uh, in this one, basically, uh, Neku and B awaken in a geographically distorted alternate version of Shibuya. And uh, they're assigned a mission to escape Shibuya within 24 hours. Uh, accompanied by a Reaper named Koko Adarashi. The two begin to make their way through the alternate Shibuya while, encountering, while encountering Shiki and Ryan along the way. As they progress, Neku has visions of a city being destroyed and a strange girl with Shiki's stuffed animal, as well as what seem to be distorted flashbacks of his own death and Ryan's sacrifice. Ryan then sacrifices uh, herself to uh, save B in a manner identical to Neku's vision. Uh, making Neku realize that w- he's having visions of the future. Neku and B arrive at Mr. Hanakoma's cafe, and he reveals that the Shibuya they've uh, been sent to is actually one giant noise created by Koko. So Neku and B basically defeat the noise and uh, return to reality. An enraged Koko tries to shoot Neku, but he's driven off by Joshua. Joshua meets with Mr. Hanakoma to discuss what has happened, and they reveal that uh, Shinjuku has been erased, basically, and the noise are starting to appear in the RG, and that the strange girl from Neku's visions was the survivor of the incident, who they uh, theorized caused Neku's visions and was helping him all along. Elsewhere, Koko plots to continue using Neku for her plans, and resurrects Minami Moto to serve as his partner. And so it ends on a cliffhanger. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Gotta, gotta wonder if there are plans for a sequel of some sort. Yeah, exactly, because there had to be a reason for them to do that. Although, the one thing I don't understand is why didn't they also have another day in the Switch version? Like, why did they replace... <laughs> with the, it's just <laughs> it's terrible. I don't know. I don't know. 
<laughs> Maybe so they can uh, re-release a extra expanded edition oh in a year God. or two. They would too. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past uh, Square Enix. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> but oh but my. how did you actually enjoy this? Since I never got a chance to play a new day. I liked it. I I liked just how like apocalyptic it was, mm-hmm. and how you had this alternate version of Shibuya, basically. And um, of course, we co-host a uh, Shimigami Tensei uh, podcast. I've got a uh, sucker for any kind of <laughs> cities being destroyed <laughs> content. Uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really pretty intriguing and in certain ways like I think the primary story of the game is really solid. I think it's yeah. it's really great, but uh, yeah, I was almost more intrigued by the premise of the new day. Yeah. It it sounds really good actually. Now, okay, so now I definitely have motivation to actually finish the Switch version so I can get to this cuz <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know, it's been so long since they released the original version. It's hard to believe that they'll come up with a sequel. But you never know. Final Fantasy 7 remake finally happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Any any thoughts to wrap things up with? That, like, this, I, I absolutely love the DS version. So the Switch version is interesting in the way that it's not necessarily an improvement, but just a different, like, way to play. And it's just interesting. And I think it, obviously it's because of the fact that it doesn't have, you don't have the dual screen anymore. And how much it really significantly changes how you play and tackle this game. And and so I could see like a lot of fans why if they played the DS game like me, why they didn't care for the Switch version. Because while the, the partner pin system was really interesting and a really cool, unique way to address that lack of second screen, it still has to be pretty jarring if like, you're used to that kind of gameplay already. And then you have to uh, essentially relearn a whole new system. Yeah. I think that if you come to it on the switch without having played the original, it's probably have an advantage as far as you're not comparing it to what is missing from the DS from everything that you said. And that I've read about the DS, I, I do feel like, it's a necessary kludge. It's not the best way they could have implemented it. And it adds some additional kind of friction to the gameplay that doesn't really need to be there. Right. I think it was probably one of the better choices out of a number of not ideal choices. That's true. That's true. Cause they could have tried to reproduce the old system and then just not work well at all. So I definitely, I don't think it where you're coming from on that. Oh, oh no, go oh, ahead. 
Okay. Oh no, I think I think one thing and I, I I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on this game. I I really liked it and I yeah I really enjoyed it and all the things that I phrased it before the the story, the characters, the art design, how well it embodies Shibuya. All those things are really great. Do feel like coming to it in 2020 makes it have maybe a little less impact than it had when if you'd played it like you did when it first came out, just because a lot of the things that made it novel, as far as the real world Shibuya setting is really common now. We've had touchscreen games for over a decade now. Yeah. And there were a few things where I felt like, and this goes back to the Switch version, where they were so tied to retaining the touchscreen interface as as best as they could that there were certain things that it just frustrated me that I, you know, couldn't also say move my character by using the Joy-Con thumbsticks or something like that. Yeah. Um, And it's really not, it's theoretically playable in docked mode, but it is not a a good experience. You basically have to pull the right Joy-Con off and use it as a pointer. Oh, oh Uh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I I definitely stuck with playing it on, uh, in, the, in uh, handheld mode. But uh, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on this game. I, I really liked it. I'm glad I finally got around to playing it. I just think that maybe it isn't quite as fresh as it seemed when it first came out. But yeah. That's not really the game's fault. No, not at all. It's And I think it's still a very interesting experience too. So that's the good thing at least, that it does actually hold up, I think. And in that regard, I think just because of virtue of just having a great soundtrack, great designs, the art's great, the story's very tightly written, and it actually keeps things pretty simple, funny enough. Like, it doesn't go too crazy. It abides by the rules that it sets. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you compare it to, say, the Persona games, where there's just so much cruft, there's so much. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the point, but it's there's something to be said about a game that just really like sticks to the point and doesn't have too many like side plots that just muddle the narrative and whatnot. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> this is all good stuff. Like it doesn't, you know, cause we know you're saying like it doesn't muddle the game. It does keep its focus and it's written much better because of it. And it benefits from that. I think in a lot of games that mimic a lot of the style of this game, they fail to do. Yeah. So I think that's why this one still is like something that you could absolutely come in and play and just enjoy because it, it still has a lot of those other positives to it that a lot of modern RPGs don't actually have. Um, okay. Oh, yeah. I, I could think of multiple games that are set in similar settings that are not nearly as good as this game. Yeah. Um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions comes yes! to mind. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if you want to hear our feelings about Tokyo Mirage Sessions in detail, go take a listen to our episodes on, on Mega 10 Marathon. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. This game is just in every way, like from art design to story to engaging characters. It's just so much better <laughs> yeah no it is honestly oh. so yeah i don't know is there anything else that you'd like to add i wanted to ask you so you know how in this game one of the cool functions is that you can actually control your character's level how you can actually adjust the level so let's say your character level 13 you can actually lower their level which lowers their stats but it also increases the percentages of getting rare drops, uh, including like super rare pins and things like that. What like level were you playing at in this game? I was not doing very much of the lowering of the levels. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, I was curious about some of the benefits you would get by lowering the levels, but at the same time, I I don't know. I'm just, I get bullheaded sometimes, <laughs> and will just especially when it comes to JRPGs, will just be like, I understand a leveling system. <laughs> There's this alter- <laughs> alternative system that you can also use, but I'm gonna stick with what I know. <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I was one of those people where I actually went in and I lowered my level. So half the game I was playing on level one and the other half I played on level seven. So that was up into including the final boss that I beat at level seven. Yeah, it was hard, but it was so much fun. And Honestly, all the rare pins, like I was so lucky. I was getting like every rare pin from like each of those bosses and like the late games because I was actually looking it up and I realized that I was getting these super rare drops and it was amazing. And (laughs) it's it's, it's a lot of fun too. Like it's a very big challenge because you have to be extremely like strategic when you do it. You have to really be good at equipping pins and have a good synergy with your part with you your you and your partner if you ever want to pl- do like a redo again of your your game i would definitely say just try out playing at level lo- lower levels it does add like a nice love you know layer of extra challenge and strategy to the game yeah yeah i'd be curious to try that now probably won't take another shot at it anytime soon yeah but of course. yeah if i want to um give it another shot down the road i would definitely do that definitely yeah awesome should we wrap it up here yep i would say so cool as always thanks so much for joining me alisa thank you for having me do you have anything you'd like to plug before we head on out here so I know I already had plugged this previously. Might as well plug it again. Recently, during the uh, PAX Online event with on, on Twitch TV, the website that I work for, DualShockers.com, we actually did uh, two panels. And one of them that I was on is uh, what 
do we want to see in Persona 6? And it's a really fun hour-long panel. We all just sit down and discuss things that we liked about and enjoyed about the previous Persona games. And if we'd want to see any of those things make a return in the next installment, anything we'd want to see them get rid of, any changes to the that we'd want to see them enact with Persona 6. And it's just a lot of fun. If you're a big fan of the fran- Persona franchise or the greater Shin Megami Tensei franchise, definitely recommend you check out the panel. And, and did, any, yeah. did anybody touch on less queer and transphobia? <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I know I I feel like that was like on all of our minds as we were <laughs> it was like because <laughs> yes that that would be great honestly just yeah. please stop <laughs> well I think it's gonna be better now that one dude is taken off but that's um, true yeah 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 I haven't watched that yet but I really want to I've got some opinions on <laughs> things that could be done or that I'd like to see in future uh, Persona games. Anything else you want to plug? Just the website that I work for itself, Dual Shockers, video game website that does previews, news, reviews, interviews, editorials, all sorts of content. It's a really fun, great, independent website. So definitely check it out. A lot of cool stuff on there. And if you ever wanted to like just chat with me in general, you can do so on my Twitter which is at ajames347. And either you could talk to me about JRPGs in general, anything about the Megatan franchise. I'm always open. Come and chat away. Awesome. Yeah. I guess, first of all, be sure to listen to uh, Elisa and I's other show, some bad grammar right there. Uh, <laughs> Megaton Marathon. It's a game-by-game journey through the Shimigami Tensei and Persona games. And uh, yeah, we're, we're doing uh, the first uh, Devil Survivor right now. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. If you're uh, an SMT fan, as far as combo chain stuff goes, uh, yeah, please just rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you can do that. And spread the word on social media if you enjoy the show. Yeah, just get the word out. That would be great. Feeling really generous. Head on over to uh, Patreon. Mirror Image Studios is the Patreon for Megaton Marathon and Combo Chain. And uh, yeah, it just helps us cover our costs, which, you know, it's it's pretty pricey, actually, (laughs) to to produce a uh, podcast every year. Any kind of amount that you can kick down would be much appreciated. And other than that, let's see. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, all the usual social media stuff. And uh, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, yeah, thanks again for joining along, Elisa. Ah, Thanks for having me once again. It's always a pleasure. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Take care, everyone.
Thank you.